Welcome, Lakeshore family. We're so glad that you've connected with us here today. I love that we have the technology where you can invite us right into your homes and we can do this together. But Sue Ann and I are so honored that today we get to invite you into our home as well. There was a doctor who was contacting one of his patients after he'd had some tests done and he had bad news for him. So he made sure he had the right person on the phone, did all the checks there, and then he started sharing with him the results of the test. He says, I've got some bad news for you and some really bad news, and I'm sorry to have to tell you that. And the patient said, well, okay, give me the bad news first. He said, well, the bad news is the test came back from the lab, and it says you have just 24 hours to live. He said, 24 hours? That's terrible news. How could anything be worse than that? He said, well, the worst news is this. We've been trying to get a hold of you since yesterday. <laughs> Obviously, we don't joke much about death, and for good reason. Death can be a really hard thing. But today in our series, Hope for Everyone, we've been following the life of Jesus through that last week leading up to the cross, and today we come to that time of his death on the cross. So how do we connect death with hope? In this case, the death of Jesus is the very thing that gives us all the hope that we're looking for. It's in his death that we find that hope. In Mark 15, beginning with verse 22, he said this, They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. Did you notice that phrase, just a simple phrase, they crucified him. And those few short words, they are describing what, when you put all the gospel accounts together, what is a terrible, long, excruciating form of death. Crucifixion was intended to cause the greatest pain and the greatest suffering they could inflict on someone. And Mark simply says, they crucified him. Today, I want us to focus on the four things that stand out about this death that make it, instead of something just awful, just terrible, it makes it something that brings hope. The first distinctive thing about it is this. It was prophesied. Long before Jesus went to that cross, God had this plan in place for this to happen. You see, this wasn't plan B for God. He didn't just say, oh no, mankind sinned now, and now we got to come up with some plan to figure out how to get them back into a right relationship with me. That's not how it worked. Instead, God had this plan from before the foundation of the world. In 1 Peter 1, beginning with verse 18, it says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. You see, it was something that was chosen before the creation of the world. God knew this was going to be needed in order for us to be able to be reconciled to him again. And so before he even made the first human being, he already knew the price that was going to have to be paid and he was willing to move forward with that plan. In Psalm 22, beginning with verse 16, we have a description there already of what was going to happen. It says, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. 
People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Here we have a description of the crucifixion that Jesus is going through that we focus on today. Yet this description happens hundreds of years before the event. But the most amazing thing is this prophecy occurs hundreds of years before crucifixions were ever done. When the psalmist says, they pierce my hands and my feet, he's describing exactly what a crucifixion was like. Even before human beings ever came up with the idea of crucifixion as a form of capital punishment, of inflicting pain and suffering and death. It's just greater evidence. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God had a plan from before the foundation of the world that he would send Jesus here to be the Savior, the Messiah, who would die that atoning death on the cross so that we could be given hope even though we've sinned and separated ourselves from him. Jesus himself on several occasions predicted his own crucifixion. In Matthew 17, we have one of those accounts in verse 22. It says, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. The disciples did not even want to think about Jesus they loved him so much, having to go through being delivered into the hands of men that were going to kill him. And it brought grief to their hearts and to their minds to think of that happening. But all the while, this was something that God planned and prophesied, and God was in control the whole time. And he was doing that for you and for me. It was not only prophesied, it was also a voluntary death. The, the scripture tells us that in John 10, verse 17, Jesus is speaking of what's going to happen. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus makes it clear that he has the control and the authority to do exactly what's happening here, to choose to go ahead and go through the plan to die on that cross for all of us. He didn't have them take his life from him. He freely gave it for us. You remember earlier we looked at how they came to arrest Jesus out in the garden and how they brought swords and clubs and how Peter responded when they came out to get Jesus and he took out his sword and cut off one of their ears. Do you remember how Jesus responded? Not only did he heal the ear, but he said this, Matthew 26, verse 53. Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? See, Jesus said, I could stop this. I could call for angels and my father would send 12 legions of angels, thousands of angels to come to my defense. But how then could these prophecies be fulfilled about what was going to happen in order for us to have the hope that his death would bring us? 
Jesus chose voluntarily to go to that cross for us. It was also a distinctive death in a lot of ways. Luke, in his gospel, in Luke 23, verse 44, says this about the time when Jesus was on the cross. It says it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. The time that it would normally have been the brightest daylight time of the day, it became dark. It said, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Can you imagine the people there that day who were watching this crucifixion and all of a sudden darkness came over the earth in the middle of the day? And then those that were connected to the temple and worship in the temple would have seen that the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Matthew tells us in his gospel, verse chapter 27, beginning with verse 51. At that moment when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. You have the earthquake, you have the darkness, you have the resurrection of the saints that had died before. You have that curtain being torn from top to bottom, indicating this was God removing that curtain. You see, that curtain represented our sin, the sin of the people God had created that separated them from a holy God. And when that curtain was torn in two, God was declaring to his people and to us today that that barrier that was keeping us from being in fellowship with him and relationship with him, our sin, Jesus' death on the cross is the one thing that has the power to remove that barrier and give us access into the presence of God to dwell with him in that relationship with him. You see, this death brings us the hope that even though we've sinned and come short of what we ought to be, God has taken the action necessary to bring us back to him again. It was prophesied. It was voluntary. It was distinctive. And finally today, I want us to see that it was an atoning death. The word atonement is an interesting word. It could be broken down into three sections. At, one, meant. It carries with it the idea and the meaning of two parties that are at odds and separated from each other. And, and a payment is needed, an action is needed to bring those parties back together again. And that action would be an action of at one meant atonement, of bringing them together. In Hebrews 9, verse 22, it tells us this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God had established through the law that understanding that when sin needed to be paid for, it required a blood payment. That's why the animal sacrifices were required under the law. And now God is saying through the spilling of the blood of Jesus and his death on that cross that the final payment for our sins has been made. This is a death that was planned and that was essential in order for us to be able to be put back together as one with the Father. Our sin could be paid for and our relationship could be restored. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross 
so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, Jesus himself, that's who he's talking about, has bore our sins in his body and that death on the cross. Why did he do it? So that we could live for righteousness, so that we could be healed of our sin and the, and the hurt and the destruction and the penalty for sin. We could be healed of that by the payment that he made through his death. And he's calling us in response to that to, to accept that payment on our behalf. And we do that by moving from living in sin to accepting the payment and then living for righteousness, he says. He wants us to be transformed by this death, by this payment, so that now we live for the righteousness that we find in Christ. If you're hearing this message today and you've never accepted that payment on your behalf, you can do that today. One of the steps the Word teaches us to take in accepting that payment on our behalf is to come before Him in faith and profess our faith in Jesus. You can do that today. He says that we need to repent, turn from our sins. That's turning from that to the righteousness that God is calling us to. Then he says we can participate with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection through baptism. He says we are buried with Christ in baptism into the likeness of his death. And if we are buried with him in the likeness of his death, we will be joined with him also in the likeness of his resurrection. We can have victory over sin and the grave and death through the death of Jesus. So if you've not yet been baptized, you can take that step as well. You can contact us if you need some help. We can walk you through that, make arrangements for that. We would be happy to celebrate your baptism, your transformation from death to life in Christ. He has borne our sins so that we could have the righteousness of Jesus applied to us. In John chapter 19, uh, beginning with verse 28, we see that it says later, knowing that everything had now been finished, this is speaking of Jesus on the cross, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a, a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The words, it is finished, are really just one word in the original language. It's tetelestai. And that word was used already in their culture in a different way. It was used in business transactions. And it usually was abbreviated and put on receipts when payment had been made in full and the debt was being canceled. In other words, if you went to buy a product and you paid for it in full right when you bought it, they would give you a receipt stamped tetelestai paid in full. If you had been buying it over time and making payments, then when that last payment was made, it was completed, the transaction was completed then, and you would get a final receipt with tetelestai stamped upon it saying, paid in full. You don't owe anything else. It's all been done already. What Jesus was saying on that cross as he was giving up his life for us is I have paid the price in full for you, for me. Our sin, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus was paying that price in full for every one of us. But that verse goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. Today, we can look at that death and understand that as hard as it was and as awful as it was for Jesus to go through that, for us, that death brings us, brings us the greatest hope of all, the hope of victory over sin and death, the hope of his presence and his power for us while we're here on this earth so that we don't have to live in fear. It is the hope that we have in Jesus that gets us through this world and prepares us for the life eternal that God has waiting for us. We're going to take some time now together as God's people to especially focus on and remember that death in the very way Jesus asked us to do it. We're going to share together in that communion remembrance meal. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in your word, you have revealed to us your plan and your purpose to give us hope. But we know, Father, that it had to break your heart to know that it was going to require the death of your son on that cross. And yet, because of your love for us, how great it is, you were willing to execute that plan and allow your son to die for us there. Father, we thank you for your amazing love and grace and mercy. And now we're going to take time to especially remember, Father, what Jesus has done. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.